Hello again, this is Rich Blundell, the visiting scientist at the Mariah Mitchell Association, coming to you this week with a special Creature Double Feature edition of the Nature of Nantucket podcast. This episode serves as a fond farewell and a reflection of gratitude for two of Nantucket's most vocal summer residents, the field cricket and the eastern towhee. Sometimes when I wake in the middle of the night from a dream or worse, I am called to step outside. The moment Nantucket's night air touches my face and my feet meet the chilly grass or the heavy sand, I am regrounded. A warm night on earth has a way of settling a restless mind. But on one cold October night, I stepped outside with the expectation of hearing that incessant sweet creak of crickets. Instead, all I heard was a deep and serious silence. Fall had fallen upon the island. The cold stillness signaled how an ancient migration was once again underway. You can see and hear some images of crickets that I collected this summer at Oika dot com slash cricket. The two crickets common to Nantucket are of the genus Gryellus. They are the spring cricket, Gryellus velatus, and the fall cricket, Gryellus pennsylvanicus. These two species look and sound the same. They are both black with lighter colored wing covers. They both have long antennae at the head end and two shorter appendages called circe at the tail end. The females of both species also have a single long spike protruding from the abdomen called an ovipositor. She uses this hollow tube to deposit eggs safely underground. Only the males chirp through a process called stridulation. They have modified wings where the top surface of one wing has a vein with a series of bumps called a file. On the underside of the other wing, they have a hardened edge called a scraper. When they drag the scraper across the file, a chirp is produced. You can stridulate yourself by dragging your fingernail across the teeth of a plastic comb. The key difference between these two species is how they overwinter. In the case of Valetus, the young overwinter as nymphs, which look a lot like small versions of the adults. This gives them a head start on the season, so we hear them mostly in April, May, and June. The Pennsylvanicus crickets, on the other hand, overwinter as eggs. So by the time they have matured into adults, the spring crickets are back in their egg stage. We hear the fall crickets mostly in August, September, and October. Now you may have noticed that July is relatively silent. This short reprieve serves as a buffer to keep the peace between these two regimes. I like to think about this arrangement between the two cricket species as a kind of pledge of allegiance 
to nature, with long-term prosperity and justice for all. So when I stepped outside on that cold and silent night, at first I was saddened by the silence. But then I remembered that crickets have a plan. Local creatures know what they're doing in a way that we have mostly forgotten. Besides, missing them tonight will only fortify my delight when they sing again next summer. Another sound that stands out so clearly on Nantucket is the song of the Eastern Towhee. This short melody floods me with the sensoria of childhood. It's a sound of summer that can span generations and even tell more ancient stories too about giants and the tongues of glaciers moving across the land. Following the cues of crickets, towies know when to head south. This year they had already left for their wintering grounds in the southeastern United States. So to find one, I rode my bike to the Natural History Archives at the Mariah Mitchell Association. I came to this Ark of Nantucket in order to spend some time with the towie and maybe tell the story of a single bird even if it was only a preserved specimen. You can see a video of this trip and other images of towies at oika.com slash towie. So let this be my ode to the eastern towie. This one, specimen number 1348, who migrated for good on May 10th, 2001. The tag attached to the leg of this broken and dried but otherwise fine male in breeding plumage read, quote, found dead on the side of Milestone Road, unquote. Probably a vehicle strike. Towies are a kind of large sparrow. They're slightly smaller than a robin, but about the same shape. The body is chunky and ends with a long rounded tail. The thick triangular bill is used for cracking seeds and snatching insects off the ground. Males sport a proud and striking black head and breast with warm rufous sides and white on the belly. Females have the same pattern, but with a less flashy brown where the males are black. Both sexes have large white tail corners which they flick and flash when annoyed by other birds or birders. Towies are frustratingly good at hiding. You're more likely to hear them scratching in the leaf litter, like this. When not flying, they hop wherever they go. They move deliberately through the thickets and detritus with a characteristic two-footed backward hop scratch. They dart around, snatching anything edible that they've uncovered. It's quite a performance if you can catch them in the act. Towies are inveterate edge runners. They prefer the rich liminal spaces between forests and fields. You'll find them on the peripheries of scrubby backyards, dunes, and thickets. The most important habitat seems to be dense shrub cover with plenty of leaf litter for the towies to scratch around in.
They are searching for insects like spiders and crickets, centipedes and snails. They also eat the seeds of ragweeds, smartweeds and grasses. They seem to enjoy acorns, blackberries, blueberries, corn and oats. The scientific name of the eastern toei is Pipilio erythrothalmus. It is Latin for the red-eyed chirper, but the spoken sound of its call is a better fit. Toei is an onomatopoeia that can stop you in your tracks. It's worth mentioning the difference between bird songs and calls. Songs are reserved for the sexier parts of bird life. They are romantic, even baroque, and primarily sung by males. Songs also signal character, integrity, fitness, and flair. Bird songs can be long and complex, often melodic. That's why they work on the heart, even across species. Calls on the other wing tend to be short quips, primarily for coordinating movements, socialization, and calling out predators. In other words, calls are for chit-chat, complaining, and generally living in a workaday bird world. But I like to think of bird calls as more than that. These little vocalizations are how birds remind themselves of who they are. It's how they announce their presence and affirm their belongingness to the family of the world. The songs of the Toei have changed over time. 15,000 years ago, the Laurentide ice sheet grumbled down the backbone of North America, leaving a patchwork of habitats and barriers. This disruption helped seed at least two different lineages of Toeis. So today on Nantucket, we hear the Eastern Toei, which sounds like this. Out West, they hear the Spotted Toei, which sounds like this. We can only imagine what the Wampanoags, the original inhabitants of this land, may have heard. But if you listen carefully, you can still hear the sound of an old glacier in the voice of a Toei. The sounds of crickets and toeys can carry the memories of our childhood, of our ancestors, and even deeper stories of the earth. Observing the creatures around us can remind us and teach us how to be in the world. We've largely forgotten how to belong like this, but it's not too late to listen, to remember, and to remember ourselves as kin in the family of earthlings. I'm Rich Blundell, the visiting scientist at the Mariah Mitchell Association. Thanks for listening to this special episode of The Nature of Nantucket.